how Jesus is the creator of all things. And if you're going to talk about Christmas, you really got to put, you can't box it into two chapters in Matthew and two chapters in the book of Luke. It's really the whole story of Jesus. He's the creator from the beginning. A few weeks ago, we saw the fall of man, how man messed up everything good that God made. When God made everything, everything was perfect. Everything was just right. Then man had to sin. Man had to eat the fruit. And we saw that because of that, sin entered into the world. And the next thing that we saw was we saw that God destroyed the world in a flood, except for one family. And God made a promise, made a covenant to Noah that he would never flood the earth like that again. And every time you see a rainbow, it's a remembrance of that sign, that covenant that God gave to Noah. We saw how God gave a covenant to Abraham that he was going to make a great nation out of Abraham. We saw how God made a covenant with the children of Israel that they would be his people. And the covenant was based on him and not them. Because it was based on them, they messed up that covenant every other minute. They said, we'll follow the Lord. And next chapter, they got the golden calf they're worshiping in the wilderness. David wanted to set up a house for God. And God said, you can't do it, I'm going to allow your son. But God set up a covenant with David that your kingdom's going to last forever. Which leads to Jesus Christ, as it says in the book of Matthew, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Last week we looked at John chapter 1, verse number 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we went back to the Old Testament and we looked at the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was filled with the glory of God. And when God's glory was on that tabernacle in the wilderness, no one could enter in there. And then there were certain times where certain people could. But you had to be clean just right and not many people could approach the Lord there in the Holy of Holies. We saw the temple was built and God's glory filled that temple. And for many years, God's glory was there and Israel kept sinning, getting away from God. And over time, God finally, his glory departed out of Israel. And for 400 years, there was no open vision. There was no glory there. And then one day to a group of shepherds, the glory of the Lord returned. And the glory of God now dwells in the believer through the spirit of God and we are the temple of the Holy Ghost and what's the difference how could you go from the Old Testament and not be able to get close to Jesus or close to God he was there but it was hard to approach him how could it go from where just a high priest but everyone he indwells us it was Jesus he made all the difference today one of the problems we have in Christianity is we get too familiar with things. And sometimes there are verses, you've heard, the, the verse I'm going to go through today, you've heard this verse hundreds if not thousands of times. Almost everyone in this room this morning could quote this verse, but sometimes I think we get so familiar with things, we miss out on the truth behind it. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm going to take the next few minutes, and I mean few minutes, and I'm going to preach on one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. If God gave us one verse and gave us nothing else, and he gave us just John 3, 16, it would be enough. Several preachers have said lots of things about this passage. G. Campbell Morgan he was intimidated by this passage, and this is what he wrote. He said, this is a text I never attempt to preach on. Though I've gone around it and around it, it's too big. 
when I've read it, there's really nothing else to say on top of that. Another man wrote, if you know nothing of the Bible, start with John 3.16. If you know everything in the Bible, return to John 3.16. We all need the reminder, the heart of the human problem is the heart of man. And God's treatment is prescribed in John 3.16. Look at that verse one more time. Let it sink in this morning. And I know you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We looked at that God creates. We look at the catastrophe of man. We looked at God's covenants that he made. We look at the glory of God last week. And today when we talk about Christmas, we're talking about the fact that God gave. God gave the most precious gift in all the world to us. And I want to take the next few minutes and talk about the fact that God gave. That ties Christmas all together. Number one, as we dive in this morning, we see that God loves. God loves. The beginning of the verse, we know it there. For God so loved the world. You'll notice that as we dive into this verse, the word for introduces a cause or a clause to begin with. Not Santa Claus, but a clause in the verse there. And puts it into context. If you go back a couple verses, it puts this verse in context. Verse number 14 tells us, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Then it says, For God so loved the world. So with the poisonous snakes in their veins, all God's people had to do was look to that rod that Moses had, and they could be healed. And when we think about that, God gave us his son to solve our sinful problem. We talked about a couple weeks ago, man messed everything up that God did, and God tried through covenants, God tried all these things to help his people. And it came down to the fact there's one thing that man needed. Man needed a new heart. Their heart could not do it. Their heart was wicked, deep in sin. That's why we look around us today and we see the wickedness in our world today. It's because man's heart is wicked. And it's not going to get better. The only hope our world has today at the right things is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet many people miss that today and don't see that. And as we look at this verse, God gave us the solution. Just as the children of Israel had Moses lifting up that rod and they could look there to be saved from the poison that was going in them. We can look to the cross and look to Jesus Christ to heal us from our sinful condition. The verse begins with the word for. When that clause begins, we see the second word is God. The verse begins with God. Didn't I tell you when we started our series, where did everything begin? With God. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created the heaven and the earth. We looked at John 1-1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see from this verse, it all begins with God. And we've talked about this. Everything begins with God. Before anything was ever, everything, there was nothing here, and God created everything out of nothing. You say, who created God? He always has been. That's hard for us to understand. He has no beginning date. He has no expiration date. We all do. 
He does not. This world has not always been. This world was created by Almighty God. So everything begins with God. And the sooner we realize in our lives the fact that all the glory should go to God because He is before all things, the better off we are. It's not about you and me. We are here for a temporary amount of time. It's all about the one who is always. That's what it's about for God. And what a little word comes next. So. I love that word. And you say, why do you love that? It's a small word. But it means he didn't just love us. He so loved us. What a special little word that is right there, the word so. God didn't love you just a little bit. God loves you a lot today. Amen. The next word is God loved. That word is where we, in the Greek, where we get the word agape, which refers to an unconditional covenant kind of love. It's a verb. It's a word of action. And you notice that God so loved. Who did he love? The world. The entire world. Not just the Jews. This had to be hard for the Jews to hear. Because the Jewish believers believe God only loved them. No, God loved the world. Think about that today. He loves every skin color. He loves every nationality. He loves the poor. He loves the rich. He loves the in crowd. He loves the outcast. He loves everyone. He loved the world. The Bible told us in Luke 2, verse number 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this was not preached to any king. It was to the lowly shepherds in their field. God cares about the lowest of society. God cares about all. God so loved the world. He even loves you Raider fans in the room this morning. <laughs> well, you may not feel loved by others this morning. I want you to remind you of something. God loves you today. Amen. You matter to him. He takes great delight in you. No matter what you've done, where you've been, he loves you. He treasures you. And I love how one pastor put it. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. God has given us so much. We see, number one, that God loves. His love caused him to, number two, we see that God gives. His love for us, for the world, compelled him to give his only begotten son. God gives. We look at that phrase, God loved us so much that he gave us the gift of his son. In this season of gift giving, may we never forget that Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that was ever given. There is no greater gift. He was given to us. We think about what Isaiah 9 6 it says, Unto us a son is given. 1 John 4, verse 9 and 10 says, And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the appeasement for our sins. You say today, well, I love God. You didn't start out loving God. God loved you, and we love him because he first loved us, the scripture tells us. God gives, and how precious that is. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We know that was the birthplace of King David. And we also know that it was known as the house of bread. And isn't it wonderful to know that the bread of life was placed there? We could go through some stories, and for sake of time, I don't have time this morning. But when you look at the animal sacrifices, and Bethlehem was just outside of Jerusalem there. And this would be where all the lambs that would be slaughtered, they would be close to that area right in that spot. And when we go through and we think about the fact that God gave his only son to be the final sacrifice, there needed to be no more animal sacrifices once Jesus died. He was born in order to die for us. Do you know what time Jesus died on the cross? It was the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, the exact time that the Passover lamb would have been sacrificed in the temple. There is no accident. He was our final Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And I love that phrase here in the King James. It says, the only begotten son. It's very significant. It has the idea of unique, the one and only. And you think about today, we all become children of the Lord when we get saved. But we are not like Jesus. He is unique and part of the Godhead this morning. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Look at that next phrase. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. We see number one today that God loves. Number two, we see that God gives. Number three, we see the fact that we have to lean on him. That whosoever believeth in him. It is helpful to know that God loves us and that God gives. But you got to realize something. The only way you're going to get that gift is by leaning on him. I love the fact that it says whosoever. The word whosoever means whosoever, just that. I know I've, you know, there are some Calvinists out there that believe there's only a few chosen select few chosen. There are Jews that believe only in a certain elect and all different, all this other stuff. We go down the line. But my Bible says that whosoever, and God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance this morning. Amen. And as we look at this, and I love that, that old song, whosoever surely meaneth me, and I am glad that I am included in that today. Whosoever believeth, the word believeth is quite a rich word. It literally means to trust in, to rely on, and to lean into. It's literally what it means. That whosoever believeth in who? Him. Who is him? The only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. You see, the only way, church, this morning you can get to heaven is not through anything good. And you, I know some of you this morning are like, Pastor... I know this verse so well. That's the problem. You know it too well. And you don't take the time to just think on it and meditate upon it. But as we look at it and as we think about these things, you got to understand your good works 
don't get you to heaven. Your good works, you'll still be perishing. You could try all of being good enough, never going to be good enough. Right behavior, whatever the case may be, baptism, the only way for a, for a sinner to get right with God is to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture teaches. We must lean on him. The Bible says in John 1, 12, we looked at it last week, but as many as receive him, receive Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that there's that word believe again on his name. That's how important it is. We see this morning that God loves. We see that God gives. We see, number three, that we need to lean on him, which leads to number four. Because of that, we live. Should not perish. But whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you notice with me the word perish, you see the word perish right there. It means to be eternally separated from God. That's what hell is what the eternal lake of fire is, perishing. Spe imagine, to think about this in our world today. God is still working and God is still here among us. And the Spirit of God is working. And look at how bad it is. Imagine hell where there is no God anywhere to be found. That's what hell is, eternal separation from God. I understand the fire and I understand the torment's going to be bad, but I think the worst part of hell is that there's no God there. So why would a loving God send anyone to hell? Oh, I think we just read, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that anyone, whosoever, can believe in him and have everlasting life. But you're given a choice. How would it have been if your spouse, those of you that are married, what if they just went up to you one day and say, you had to marry me, you have to love me, and you have no choice in the matter? Is that going to be real love? Probably not. If that happened to you, uh, we can talk later on. No, I'm teasing. But, um, no, you've, you fell in love. You wanted to get married. You loved each other. God gives you a choice. And we look this morning, God did everything. It all began with him. God loved, and because God loved this world in the midst of the sin in this world, he gave the best gift he could give to fix all of mankind's problems. And anyone, anywhere, at any time can believe in him, and you don't have to perish. But the opposite is true as well. If you do not believe in him, you will perish, and the wrath of God will abide on you. The very next two verses, verse 17 and 18, say, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And verse 18 tells us, He that believeth on the Son is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Two truths we see in this verse. If you believe in Christ you will not be condemned. Second truth we see, if you don't believe, you're condemned already. 
In other words, if you choose not to be saved, you choose not to believe in Christ, you're condemned right now. Another passage tells us that the wrath of God abides on you right now. The only way to avoid that is to believe and to come to Jesus Christ. As you look at the end of that verse, it says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have. I love the word have there. It's a small word. It means to have and hold to have in your hands. When you put your faith and trust and you lean on Jesus Christ and you believe that he's the son of God, you have in your very hands eternal life given to you from God Almighty himself. That's what the Bible says. But if you refuse that gift and you refuse to believe, wrath is abiding on you and you're still alive today and i uh, i got you gotta understand something i've seen many of people try to scare people into getting saved and trusting the lord i don't believe in that garbage if you want the lord he's there and the holy spirit's going to convict you that you need him and you're going to want him if you don't want him then don't take him that's your choice but i'll tell you this you're a Every minute you walk without Christ, everything you do, every street you cross, you are one second from spending eternity in hell if you don't know Christ today. Do you know the verse doesn't say there that you have eternal life for a little bit of time? No, God's not one of those. The other day, my kids gave, there was a gift exchange at school. And so David, so Matthew had David. And so he didn't even know it. And so my youngest, my four-year-old, had my six, my seven-year-old. And so yesterday at the house, my seven-year-old, the six, the four-year-old gave him a ball. That's what he wanted. That's what he got. Well, the four-year-old couldn't understand. I bought the ball. I want to play with the ball. He spent his money for it, and he wanted to play with the ball. And the seven-year-old was like, "No, you gave me that ball. It's my ball." But the four-year-old is like, no, you got, that's, I bought it. So I bought it, so it's still, I can still use it. And the seven-year-old, no, it's mine because you gave it to me. And they're arguing back and forth. And I thought, thank you guys for a great sermon illustration. When God gives you eternal life, it becomes yours. You don't have to share it or give it back. You should share it with other people so they can have a part too. But you don't have to give it back. You'll never do something so wrong that God says, give me back what I gave you. No, you have it, you possess it, and it can be yours. As we close this morning, if you were to put this full verse in context, you'd have to go back to the beginning of the chapter to see that there was a man named Nicodemus that came to Jesus. And Jesus told him in verse number 3 of John 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Have you been born again? We sing about how wonderful he is, and he is so wonderful. And he is worthy of all praise. But unless you are born again, you will not see God. Say, how can I be born again? The first thing is you realize the fact as we've talked about for four weeks now. Sin messed everything up.
and you and I are sinners today. We try our best, but our best is not good enough because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the problem. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. What we deserve for the sin that we do is we deserve death. But the rest of the verse says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we read today and we saw that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. So the problem is we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. Our righteousness could never add up to be enough. God could not die for mankind, and there was no man good enough to die for mankind. So God had to put on flesh and become a man, and that's the only way it could work. And when Jesus died on the cross, he became our sacrifice. And all you have to do to be born again is quit trusting in what you've trusted in your whole life and trust that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died, he was buried, he rose again, and you put your faith and your trust on him and what he did, and you're saved. That's salvation. People like to complicate it. It's not complicated. Sin messed everything up. We all fall short of God's glory. Our righteousness, our works are not good enough. We're saved by grace and faith, and those are his to begin with. It's a gift of God, and it's not of works because... How would it be we all get to heaven? I got here because of all the good things I did. No, when we all get to heaven, it's going to be, you know why I'm here? Because of what he did for me. That's why when we sing and we do what we do, it's all about him, and he gets all the praise and all the glory. And all you got to do is believe. Kids believe in lots of things, don't they? The Bible does talk about how you got to come to the Lord with a childlike faith. There are many adults that think they're too smart. They're too smart for Jesus or what the Bible says, but the Bible's very simple. We're wicked. He's wonderful. He loved us in spite of our wickedness. He came and lived a sinless life, died on the cross, became our Passover lamb so that we could spend eternity with him. That's how much he loves you today. Father, I thank you for the time that we've had today in your word. I thank you for the truth in your word.